Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Let's take our Bibles and go back to Matthew chapter 25. And uh, as we remember September 11th today, a day in our country that remembers those that were killed in the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and those that gave their life in Pennsylvania, um, we, we do want to remember, too, that there are family members who are still dealing with those events today. And, and it is a day that we want to remember in our country. Many soldiers have given their lives uh, for that action that was put against our country. And uh, so I don't want to not remember 9-11 today, but I don't believe 9-11 really is what God is uh, interested in us sharing today. Uh, although it is an important day in our American history, there is, uh, it is a microcosm of what's going to happen in the future to some degree. It was a time in America in which there was talk about great revival. Do you remember that? Remember the Sunday after 9-11? How many churches were packed out that day? How many churches were just full? And how many people were ready to share their faith and tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done for them? And then a couple months later, what happened? Oh, this isn't the end. This isn't the final judgment. We're going to eat, drink, and be merry because this isn't it. We got more time. And Americans went back. And then here just a few years ago or a couple years ago, there's this thing called coronavirus. And this was going to be the thing, right? And look at today. Most churches are down 25 to 50% in attendance after COVID. Why? Well, it wasn't the end times. It wasn't the final judgment. So you know what? We're going to go back and we're going to live our life just as we always did. You remember during COVID, the phrase you kept hearing all the time, I just can't wait till we can get back to normal life. What is normal life? For Americans, normal life is where I get to do what I want to do. That's normal life. And Jesus in his writings in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, and last week we read specifically the end part of 24 that really lays out the days of Noah passage. And I I do want to allude to that here just briefly. I want us to go over to verse 36 and uh, look with me at chapter 24, verse 36, as we talk about, are these the days of Noah? Are we in the days of Noah? Are we starting the days of Noah? And listen to what this portion of scripture says again, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but their father only for as were the days of Noah, so will it be, so will, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were, what's the next word there? They were unaware, the Bible says. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, for a while in America, back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, there was this thing going on called World War II that kind of sparked an interest in end-time events. Why do you think World War II would have done that? You have all the nations fighting against each other. And you have the nation of Israel not really in their land. And right after uh, World War II ended, 
the country of Great Britain who possessed the land of Palestine deeded it to what country? Israel. And when Israel was founded as a nation, that to some was a sign marker that the end times is now what? It's begun. We're there. The problem is, how many years are we removed from that now? How many years since that happened? Over 75 years has transpired, and what's happened in the world? No second coming of Christ, no rapture. Uh, we don't see the outpouring of the judgment of God on the, on the world. So then we aren't living in the end times then, right? Well, Jesus was asked a specific question at the beginning of verse 24, or chapter 24. I want you to go back there. Chapter 24 and verse 1. Let's go back there, and this is what really sparked this series that we're going to endeavor on here. Jesus left the temple and was going away with his disciples, or when his disciples came to, the point, came to point out the building of the temple. And then Jesus answered, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another until all they be thrown down. And then verse 3, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus said to them, and he goes on and gives them all of chapter 24, doesn't he? Red letters from there on. Jesus gives this discourse on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And Jesus begins to tell them what the prophetic teaching is. And now I'm going, to, I'm going to jump ahead here. And instead of telling you what the prophetic teaching is, we're going to ask this question. So what? So if we know the prophetic teaching, so what? How many of you are going to be alive when that happens? Do you think we should know then? Do you think we should care about this passage if we don't know when Jesus is coming back? How do we know we're not in the generation of Noah? How do we know that we're not the generation in which the rapture is going to occur? How do we know we don't know what we don't know? So Jesus is sharing with his disciples that, hey, you see this beautiful temple mount. You see these walls around Jerusalem. You see all this stuff. You know what? The temple is going to be torn down and not one rock is going to be left on it. Now, we know from history that actually happened, didn't it? In AD 70, what happened? The Romans come in and they destroy the Temple Mount. They take down every single stone that not one stone would remain on another. So does that mean that started the days of Noah? No, not necessarily. It just means that portion of Scripture was fulfilled per what Jesus Christ said. So how should we respond when we hear prophetic teaching. Now, last week I gave you three, three different ways people respond or how not to respond, right? Number one, we don't run around acting like setting dates for when the end of the world's going to be, right? We don't do that. Number two, we don't run around thinking that everything that happens in our present day is the start of the end times. We don't run around doing that. And then number three, we don't not care about it either, right? Prophecy's not like, well, that's in the future. I'm not going to be there. I don't care. Well, the Bible clearly teaches us that we should care, number one. Number two, that no man knows the day or the hour uh, when the Son of Man's going to come. And uh, as we look to Scripture this morning, we're going to see some Scriptures this morning that are going to help us understand why we should care when it comes to prophetic things. 
Do we re- I don't know if we realize this, but about one-third of your Bible is prophetic. One-third of scriptures is prophetic, even, even today. Or if you're in the Old Testament, looking prophecy to the New Testament. Almost a third of the Bible is prophecy. And Now, how, let me ask you a question. How many times has God been wrong when it comes to prophecy? Never. So why would he start now? And if, if prophecy has been fulfilled in the past, and God is fulfilling prophecy in the present, and he will continue to do it in the future, then shouldn't we be smart enough to want to know why and how he, he works? What, why he uses prophecy? Why he, he doesn't just put a flashing billboard out in front of every church today with the flashing date of when the end of the world's going to be? Because if we knew when the end of the world would be, how would we live? We're going to do whatever we want until the day of, and then the day of, what are you going to do? Try to get it all right real quick, right? So I'm going to live for myself right to the day at the end when I try to claim Christ and I'm doing it in whose power? Mine. Am I choosing Christ or did Christ choose me before the foundation of the world? Am I a child of God or is he a genie of mine? You see, when we put ourselves in the driver's seat, we can make religion about us really, really favorably. I mean, I can be the the bearer of all good things and not have to deal with any of the bad things. However, if God, through prophecy, is using that to put us in a position where we must believe by faith his word and trust him rather than us, where does that place him? Sovereign or not sovereign? Is God sovereign? Is he in control of all things? Is he God today? Is he not the creator of all things that exist? So then he's using prophecy as a tool for us. He's using it as a school teacher, if you will, to teach us how we can trust him even when we don't understand. Have you ever been in a position where you didn't understand something and then a teacher came along and and revealed to you or unveiled to you how to do something? I remember when I first was learning to fly, I always thought it was magic. Still, when I take people flying and we rotate off the ground, I'm like, and here's the magic of flight. But I know it's not magic. I know there's physics behind it. I know there's air and thrust and drag. And, and, and for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And, and I know when to fly into good weather and when not to fly into bad weather. And, and there's all these things that you learn along the way that make you become a better and more proficient pilot. However, when you first start out, you don't know any of these. So you know what you trust? By faith? Physics. (laughs) You trust that the mathematicians figured it out. You trust that some engineer with a slide rule back in 1950 knew how to use a slide rule good enough to get the math right. And every time you go flying, you're flying in airliners that were designed by people who trusted a system of facts. You know what prophecy is for us? A system of facts. How many believe Jesus Christ is going to come again? Is that a fact? Yeah. Is it present or future? So you're believing a future fact that hasn't happened. But it's still factual. Why is it still factual? Because God in the past was faithful in what he did. God in the present has been faithful in what he does. And God in the future stays that way, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
This is why we can depend on God, we can trust God, and we can put our faith in God because he is predictable. He is knowable. He is understandable. The problem is it's not in the way we want it done. Our ways are not his ways and his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, says the Lord, right? So let's look at a couple verses here to remind us of where we are in the scheme of understanding when the end times are going to happen. So what do I do with the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he's going to give us from this prophetic prophecy? What do I do with it? Well, one thing we do is we understand Matthew 24 and verse 36. It says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but who? Now, theologically speaking, I think this is fascinating because the father knows something that the Holy Spirit and Jesus doesn't. Is that what it's saying? No, it's the Father's call. It's the Father's call when the end's going to stop or when the end of, time, end of things are going to happen. How do we know that? Well, it says here, only the Father knows. How about Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13? We read that together, right? So I'm not going to take a ton of time here to develop it. But you remember the last phrase of that verse, right? At the very end of that passage of Scripture, verse 13 said, Watch therefore... For you know neither the what? Day or? How many of you have ever heard the day that the world's going to end? Remember the year 2000? Remember Y2K? Remember that? All the computer grids in the world were going to crash on Y2K because, I don't know why, because the computers kind of compute something that the programmers didn't tell it to do, right? Although the programmers did actually tell it and all the clocks changed at midnight and what happened? And there were books that were written why Jesus will come in the year 2000. And guess what? He didn't come. Last week I showed you an author who over and over again tries to predict the end times and over and over again, he misses the mark. He misses that. So in Matthew 24, we know that we're not here to study prophecy, to try to predict when Jesus is going to come back, because what is the reality of your prediction? It's going to fail. Why is it going to fail? Because nobody knows. Nobody knows a day, not even what? The hour. So, but the Bible does tell us a couple clues about end times. We're going to know the season in which it will happen. We're, we're going to understand the, the actions and, and things that are going on in that time period. We are going to understand some of that. And as we get into the prophecies, you're going to see, and, and I think it'll rock us back on our heels a little bit, that some of the very things Jesus says that are going to happen right before his coming are happening in our own world right now. They're happening real time. Matter of fact, we have some prophecies that have been fulfilled in some of the lifetimes of people in here. How many remember a day before Israel was a nation? Prophecy has been fulfilled in your, in your lifetime because they're a nation today. It says that there'll be a great military power. How many, how, do you know what ranking Israel is militarily in the world today? They're number three in power. That, that's, that's pretty special because there's only two countries ahead of them. You know who they are? Russia's number five. America's first, China's second, Israel's third. Who would think Israel's the third most powerful military in the world? That little tiny state, smaller than the state of Delaware. 
I was just in the state of Delaware and we drove across that thing like multiple times sideways and we even went vertically over two thirds of it. And we were able to do all that in like less than an hour being in the state. Matter of fact, when Israel would train for some of the missions, they would fly mainly the, remember when they took out the Iranian reactors, they had to fly 15 laps around their country to simulate trying to fly all the way over there. I mean, just incredibly how small Israel is. And and yet they're a powerful foe in the world today when it comes to militarily speaking. What about riches? Do you know where Israel is in the richest countries of the world today? Do you know they have more natural gas resources than Russia? Think of that. They have oil. They have natural gas. They have all the stuff that our modern world wants and and thrives for and and starves for. Israel's sitting on it. Look Look at produce, how the desert produces while they're in the land. These are all prophetic things that God said would happen when Israel occupies the land. So, so what about this, Pastor Joe? What's the big deal? Well, let me give you three things that makes it a big deal. Number one, we need to, we need to understand Matthew 24, verse 42. Look, with me, look at that passage with me. Therefore, anytime there's a therefore, we have to ask what it's therefore, right? So there's a command coming. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. What does it mean to stay awake? Be on guard. Be cognizant of what's going on around you. Understand the things that are happening around you. Let's go to verse uh, 36, Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man. So first thing we should not do when it comes to prophecy is guess when, right? Don't guess when. Does it matter when? No. What's the command for us? Be ready. Be awake. Don't be sleeping. Right? Be awake when it comes to understanding what's going on in the world today. We're clearly told not to set dates, not to try to set a time or, or, or a, an hour or a day in which the Son of Man is going to come. Remember last week we talked about this. Should we study endlessly all prophecy at the expense of the rest of Scripture? No. Right? So should we study endlessly? No. We want to dig deeper. We want to understand what prophecy says, but we don't need to just study it exclusively because prophecy is not the reason you're here today. You're here for a different reason. We should be ready though. Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Stay awake. Know this, that the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into, right? Same idea when it comes to like, if we knew the day Jesus would come back, we would live however we wanted to live. And then the day that he was coming, what would, we would all repent and everybody go to heaven, right? That, that's why. So he says right in the parable here, if you knew when the thief was coming, you would stay awake and you would protect your house, right? Would you not be home when the thief was coming? No, you would make sure you were home. You would make sure you're paying attention. He says, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Matthew 25, look with me at verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So we know this for a fact. Jesus is coming back someday, right? We know that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for his church, don't we? 
We also know that when he comes back, it's going to implement a transition of focus from the Gentiles back to who? The Jews. We know the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, is a purification of what people group? The Jews. And it is the purification of the Jews and getting them ready to meet who? Jesus Christ, their king. So, here's the question. If it's warning us to stay awake, it's warning us to watch, it's warning us to pay attention. Jude told us, contend for the faith, to be vigilant and contend for the faith. Then the question is this, what are we distracted by today that keeps us from the mission we're on? What distracts us? Well, I'm going to talk specifically today about America, uh, about what dis- what. what pulls us away, but I do believe that it also is talking about some of the very people who are here and some who aren't here today as we look at this. What are things that distract us from what Jesus Christ wants for us today? Well, number one, things like money and entertainment, fame and politics. Anybody ever been distracted by any of those? Money, fame, Politics, entertainment. Let's look at Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39. Okay? For as were the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage, until when Noah entered the ark, and they were all unaware until the flood came and swept them away, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. What were they doing before the flood? They were living life, weren't they? Let me ask you a question. When the first raindrops started falling, what was money worth in Noah's day? When the rain started falling and the ground opened up, what was money worth in Noah's day? When the earth opened up and the rain started falling, what was entertainment in Noah's day? When the rain started falling and the earth opened up, what was marriage in Noah's day? When, when the earth opened up and the rain started falling, what was entertainment in Noah's day? That's right. So simple, even a kid gets it. So what will it be like before the second coming of Jesus Christ, before the rapture? What are people going to be involved in? What are they going to be consumed with? What are the things that Satan is going to use that he's used in the past to distract people from focusing on the real thing? All the idols that we so easily let into our lives. The big four for America, money, right? Number one is money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they what? Air from the faith. It's not money, but the love of money. The pursuit of money. Money is the God of America today, is it not? Look at our politics. What motivates people to do things against their own country? Money. And if it's not money, it's the next one. The next one is entertainment or fame. Entertainment. How many of you love Netflix, your iPhone, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, all these things that, that are used? How about this? Direct TV. How about all these things that that are being used to distract us from understanding the time and days that we live in 
Satan is lulling people into a state of false security. We love being entertained. Much of our lives, we spend wasting on entertainment. We're getting distracted from far more important things. Fame. Fame is considered the most important thing today. If you're not going to be rich, at least be famous, right? If you're not going to be rich, at least be famous. Whether it's TikTok famous, YouTube famous, Instagram famous, Twitter famous. Get your 10 minutes of fame and then you're somebody, right? What would any of that do for you if it started raining and a flood came? Politics. Many people today find their, their identity in politics, don't they? Politics is like one of the biggest things dividing our country today. And while certain, certainly politics has its place, some Christians believe that it's the, they place the ultimate value on who's president or what party's in control. I hate to tell you, we could have communists in control and God's still God. This is where we, we put trust in man far more than we put trust in God. And all these Satan uses as idols in the lives of Christians to paralyze them from doing the one thing that God really wants us to do. We're pursuing money, we're pursuing entertainment, we're pursuing fame, we're pursuing politics when we should be pursuing who? Christ. So what does it mean to be ready? What does it mean? What, what does that actually look like? Well, in our story today, Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51, it says this. Who then is faithful and a wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servant and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that sounds kind of brutal if you ask me, doesn't it? That sounds pretty gnarly. Check out what Matthew 7 says about the similar topic here, because it's not exclusive to Matthew 24. But here in verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now check out what the, what the next verses say. All right? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Is that happening in our day? Sure. What does Jesus say then? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? They're not following his word. This is Jesus' words, not mine. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Red letter edition. Who's declaring to them he doesn't know them? Jesus is declaring, I don't know him. It goes on to say further down, look at verse 24 through 26. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Remember this parable? There's a reason we started with this message back about four months ago. 
talking about the wise man to build his house on the sand, the, or the foolish man to build his house on the sand, the wise man builds his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't, what words? The words that we're reading right now, we're still in the same context in, in Matthew chapter 7 here. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on the house and the house did not what? Because it was founded on what? It's founded on truth. Noah, when the rains came and the floods, floods rose and the ark floated, it floated because he put his faith in who? God. He obeyed what? The truth of God. When we get towards the end times and we see bad things happening and we begin to look around for the reason why it's happening and the rains come down and the floods come up, what should we focus on? Truth. The rock. And if anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Go back to Matthew 24. Look with me at verse 45 again. So who then is faithful and a wise servant? Him whom the master has set over the household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, because truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But the wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servant and eat and drinks with drunkards. The point of both of these parables, point of both of these messages from Jesus Christ, is that the servant was supposed to be doing something while the master was delayed. Is Jesus Christ coming back? What is delaying his coming today? God's mercy, God's grace, and God's sovereignty. The things that make him God. And if he's delaying, why is he delaying? Well, we got to come back to the days of Noah for this, right? Now, I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, okay? Go with me in the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. Because this tiny little gem is hidden in this portion of scripture here. And a lot of times we blow over this and, and we don't catch it. And, and we could go to Hebrews chapter 11 as well and learn about Noah a little bit there. But Peter really uses two different passages of scripture to help us understand the, time that, the times of Noah and what it was like during that time and what, what are we called to do today. Now, Peter's talking in light of false teachers that are starting to creep in to the church and, and, and dealing and how you deal with them. And we know that 2 Peter and Jude, do you remember when we studied the book of Jude? I challenge you to read 2 Peter, and 2 Peter was what? A more detailed, thorough account of what Jude is. Matter of fact, so many verses in there are the exact same wording. So Peter here is talking about the end times as well, and he's talking about uh, what it's going to be like towards the end of days and um, what, it, what it means to suffer for Jesus Christ. And in the narrative here, look with me at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for what? The unrighteous. 
that he might bring us to God. Who brings us to God? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in what? Huh. How did God exercise patience in the day of Noah? He gave them 120 years to repent. And what did they do with it? They married. They lived. They partied. They did not repent. And what is it going to be like just if the days of Noah were like this? He preached for 120 years the message that judgment's coming. And people just went on and lived their lives as they always did. So if we're going to find the days of Noah in our time, what is it going to be like? Well, number one, God's going to send a prophetic message of warning of coming judgment. And he's going to send messengers to proclaim that message to a people group that have an appointed time in which his sovereignty is going to outweigh his mercy. And when that day comes, that no man knows the day or the hour, not even the angels or the Son of Man himself, but when that day and that appointed time comes, that's ordained by only the Father himself, by the way, who said the, who, whose mercy was it here? Go back to Peter again. Um, verse 19, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when whose patience waxed thin? Whose patience waited? The Father's. The Father, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for the good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means this. In the days of Noah, God's mercy, God's grace... And God's salvation was available to who? Everybody. But who did it benefit? Eight people. Why? They're the only ones that trusted God's word. They're the only ones that took it serious. So if it's going to be the days of Noah, like the days of Noah when the Son of Man comes, Matthew 24... What is that time period going to be like? It's not going to be the masses we think. It's going to be few. It's not going to be entertainment and things that are going to win people. It's going to be the truth that wins people. The truth of who God is and what he's like. And when we understand who God is and what he's like, we realize real fast, real fast, we have to surrender to his will. We don't get to exercise our will. And when we exercise our will, it puts us in opposition to God. But Noah and his family trusted God. They trusted his word. How much rain had Noah seen to that point? How much water was on the face of the earth to that point? How, mu- how many boats had ever been built and floated? 
What engineering school did Noah go to? to And yet, right down to the dimensions of the ark, God gives Noah. And by faith, Noah has to pursue all these things. And while he's building this ark, he has a second job to do as well. What was it? Proclaim judgment is coming. And in order to be saved, you've got to get in the boat. Do you remember what the people did to Noah? They mocked him. They made fun of him. You want to know what's even crazier? The Bible tells us that some of them actually helped them build the boat. And they didn't get in it. Remember in, John, in Matthew 7, we read that passage, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that in thy name? And he says, what? I don't know who you are. You realize there were some people that said, hey, Noah, we, we, we put that board on that ark. Hey, we smeared that pitch in, the, in between the seams of the ark. That's good enough. But who got saved? Those that got in the boat. Those that exercised their faith and got in the boat. And by the way, who shut the door of the boat? God did. Who was saved after the door was sealed? So if the end times are going to be like the days of Noah, it would do us well to know what it was like in the days of Noah, don't you think? And in the days of Noah, everybody was doing that which was right in their own eyes. Well, I think, I feel, I believe. The problem is, what is truth? What is truth? If truth is truth, then no matter what culture, no matter what time, no matter what place, it remains truth. So if we're going to understand the time in which we live, we're going to understand the mission that we're on. If we're really going to understand prophecy as a whole, then we need to understand the days of Noah. We need to understand that there is going to be a season of life in which people are going to be preaching the gospel and nobody, they're, they're going to listen, but they're not going to act on it. And as you see more and more of that happening in the world, understand that you're getting closer and closer to the time of Christ's coming. The problem is there's going to be many even inside the church today that are going to be deceived by this. Because nobody wants to preach the message of sin. Nobody wants to preach the message of judgment is coming today. They all want to teach the good side of it. Right? But the problem is, is there judgment coming? Well, I already established that as a fact. Is God's wrath going to be poured out on this earth? We know that for a fact. The Bible clearly teaches it will. It's not going to be destroyed by water this time. How's it going to be destroyed? How do you guys know that? How do you know that? The Word of God tells us that's how it is. So when God prophetically gives us truth, what should we do with that truth? We should listen and receive it. This is the point that the servant was supposed to be doing something while the master was away. Jesus said, I must go away and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit while I'm gone. He's going to seal you until the day that I return. And if I go away, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, surely I will come again that where I am, there you may be what? So we know he's coming again. He's told us he is. We know he left the Holy Spirit as the down payment for his return. 
And we know for a fact that Jesus is going to establish a kingdom on this earth. We know for a fact that there's this thing called the rapture because it tells us in the Bible there's this thing called the rapture in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians. So then what do we do with this? What are we supposed to be doing while the master's away? Being faithful, doing what he's told us to do. What has the master left us? What is the job the master's left us to do? Warn people that what's coming. Warn people that judgment's coming. What did Noah do in his time? He preached. He simply, what did he preach? He preached repentance. Why? What's coming? Judgment. What do we teach? What is the church called to preach today? Judgment's coming. There's going to be an, a, reckoning, a, a reckoning for man when Jesus Christ returns. And when he returns, there's going to be those that didn't bring their oil along with them. They're going to try to borrow somebody else's oil. And what's going to happen? It doesn't work. You can't use my oil to get to heaven. You have to have your own oil. And if we share our oil, it's not going to work out. So go to town and buy your own oil. And when they go to town, what happens? The servant comes, the, the, the bridegroom comes back. And when the bridegroom comes back, he invites those that already are ready to come in with him. And those that weren't ready, what are they? They're left behind. They're left behind. There's no salvation for them. That's what Matthew 24 is going to show us. It's going to show us that there is a point in which salvation is offered to man and there is a point in which salvation is taken away and the consequence of sin reigns upon those that remain. No one knows the day or time. We'll, we'll go through these parables. We'll break them all down. We'll tear them apart. We'll look into them. But I want you to understand the beginning. We're talking about prophecy here. Why do we study prophecy? It's not so I can be smarter. It's not so I can prove to others I'm right. It's not to... Not to overemphasize this at the cost of the gospel and other things. We study prophecy to find out the faithfulness of God. If we find that God is faithful, then when he tells us something over here we don't understand, what can we do? We can trust it. We can take it at its word that if God says it's going to happen, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. So, when the Holy Spirit under the, or when people wrote the scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they asked a final question. Or there's really one final question we're to ask today. And that is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with the prophecy? As we unveil this, by the way, prophecy is written so we can know it, right? God wants us to know it. The last book in the Bible is named what? What does revelation mean? unveiling or revealing, right? God, is, God wants us to know the end times. He wants us to know what it's like, what he is like, what's going to happen when it comes to the end times. He wants us to know this. So the last book of the Bible he gives to us called the unveiling so that we can understand what it's going to be like when the end times happen. Remember what the people asked? What are going to be the signs of your coming and what is it going to be like in the last days? And what we're going to find out in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, 24, Jesus is going to flat tell us what's going to happen, not necessarily in chronological order, but he's going to give us what's going to happen in verse 20, or chapter 25. He's going to share with us how 
and why it's going to happen. And what I wanted to share with you today is this. We study prophecy so we know what to do. We know what we should be doing right now. We don't sit back, live like the world, and then when the bridegroom shows up, be like, oh, hold on, time out, I need a... It's too late. We got to be doing now the right thing so that when he returns, we are ready. We are ready to meet him. So the final question today, if Jesus Christ were to come back at noon today, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your creator? Are you ready to meet your master? Are you ready to meet your Lord? It's easy on the surface to say, Psh, of course, I mean, I'm ready. But if you knew he was coming back at noon today in just 47 minutes from now, what would you do to get ready? Who would you talk to? What would you tell him? Why would you tell him that? If you knew that at noon today at 12.01, the Antichrist would be revealed, a peace treaty would be signed, and some cataclysmic events would start occurring on this planet, and you knew that was going to happen, who would you share that with? Let me, let me flip it so Americans understand this. If it, if it was September 11, 2001, and you knew that some terrorists were going to fly airplanes into buildings in New York City at the Pentagon, and that an airplane would be hijacked that would end up crashing in near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Shanksville, and you knew some of your friends would be on those flights and in those buildings, what would you do? To what extent would you go? And what would you say to them? You see, when, it, when it's practical like that, it's like, oh yeah, this is what I would do. But when it's theoretical, theological, well, he hasn't come back in 2,000 years. Why would he come back now? Just like it was in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. Are you ready? Are you paying attention? Are you sharing your faith? Do you know your faith well enough to be able to share it with somebody else and impart to them the truth of God's word? You see, that is the point of prophecy. Look at Matthew 25, verses 11 and 12. Let me show you these in closing. Afterward, the other versions came also saying, Lord, Lord. What'd they call him? They called him Lord, Master, open to us. And he answered them what? Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The most distressing part of the parable is verses 11 and 12. The most distressing and frightening idea is that there is such a thing as being too late that you miss the party. You miss the bridegroom. And if you miss the bridegroom, the Bible teaches us there's not a second chance. You have one chance to meet the Savior. You have one life to live for Jesus Christ. You have one life to dedicate to Him. You have one time in your lifetime to share the hope that's within you with meekness and fear. And the reason we study prophecy is so we know what to do. We have motivation to go do it. And you know what we do with the gospel? We go into all the world and we what? We herald it, we proclaim it, we show it to other people. And when do we stop doing that? 
There's only two times we, we stop doing it. One, when you die, because what do dead people do? You're living the gospel then, right? You're in the presence of the Lord. So it's too late to share the gospel when you're dead. How do we know that? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a story in the Bible that showed us that after you die, it's too late to share the gospel? You guys remember a guy named um, Lazarus? And there was this other guy. Uh, how much money did he have? He was known by some name. A rich guy, right? A rich guy. That was his name. They were a rich guy and Lazarus. And, and they both what? They both died. And one went to heaven, the other one went to hell, and in hell one lifted up his eyes and said, send somebody back from this place so they can warn my friends what? Don't come here. And do you remember the message? Though they send one back from the dead, they still would what? Who told that story? Who came back from the dead? Do they still believe? Hmm. And as we get closer to the days of Noah, when we preach truth, it's not going to be received. That's the reality of prophecy. And as we look and we say, how can people not see this? Well, who illuminates Scripture? Holy Spirit does. And people that don't have the Spirit are not going to see the truth of Jesus Christ. This is why prophecy is called a mystery. It's a mystery to those who aren't saved, but to those of us who, who have the Holy Spirit of God and the illumination of Scripture, it is the power of God which leads to what? Salvation. People want to be saved in the future. They've got to be in Christ. They have to be a follower of Christ. They have to be seeking the Lord while he can be what? Found. Because there's coming a day in which what? They can't. They're going to be eternally sealed. And Matthew 24 is going to show us what those events are going to be leading up to the time in which... You want, my favorite part of Matthew 24 is this. It's the end of the chapter. He tells us the days of Noah. Why does he wait till the end to tell us that? Because then we can warn all the truth that's in front of that. We get to warn people what's going to happen and what the signs are going to be before Jesus comes back and when the start of the end times is going to be. So what are we going to do with it? In the weeks ahead, we're going to teach you what the chapters teach. All right? We're going to give you the parables. We're going to define the parables. We're going to unpack the parables. And we're going to, we're going to unpack Jesus' message here. But the real thing is this. They have, the disciples asked a question that's still apropos in our time. And Jesus said, just like the days of Noah, which we know all the facts about that. We can go back into Genesis 5, 6, 7, 8. We can go to Hebrews 11. We can go to 1 Peter. We can go to 2 Peter. We can find out what the days of Noah was like. And we can find out that God was merciful and long-suffering and didn't pour out his wrath on them right away. But so many times when we look at Noah and his ark, we, we look at Noah and we say, man, what great faith he had. But the problem is this. He preached for 120 years. What a terrible pastor he was. That's not true, right? He was faithful in preaching. The problem wasn't the preaching. The problem was the hearers. And they chose their own desires more than they chose God's. And when you live in a day and era in which people rather choose their own way to deal with God or deal with creation of God or their own truth instead of God's truth, guess what you're living in? You're living in the day of Noah. 
And we are living in the day of Noah right now. We're not living in the judgment portion. We're living in the 120 years prior. And I'm not saying there's only 120 years. Don't, I'm not date setting. I already told you I don't do that. But that 120 years represented a time of preaching about something that was going to happen that was going to destroy everybody. And we're living in that time period where we have the job to warn. So next week, Lord willing, we'll dig into Matthew 24 and begin to mine out these and other portions of Scripture along with it. But I wanted to share this with you as our motivation. While the bridegroom's away, what should we be doing? Should be filling our pots with oil and letting our light so shine before men that they might see our life, our works, our motivation for why we do what we do. And what is the motivation to do what a Christian should do? Our love for God. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The second is like the first, love your neighbor as... Do we love our neighbors enough to share the truth with them? That's the real question. And then do we love God enough to trust him at his word? That if we share the gospel, the people get saved. And it still works, right, Kathy? It still works. She had the privilege of netting one this week. That was awesome. Praise the Lord. But how many more need to be saved? So whosoever will can come. But how are they going to hear unless people go and share? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it's quick, it's powerful. I thank you that we can know what your word says. And Father, I pray that as we begin this study and we begin to dig into these portions of scripture in the weeks to come, that Father, we would, we would understand that your truth is truth no matter what generation, no matter what time, no matter what's going on in the world, that it's still truth. And Father, we can trust you because of the past. We can trust you because of the present and we will trust you in the future as well, because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father, just as we see in our own time period, some of the very core elements of Noah's day, I pray, Father, that we wouldn't sit back and be content to just wait for the coming of Jesus Christ, but we would actively be sharing the gospel as good servants of yours are supposed to do. And Father, we need, uh, if, if everybody in this room were to share the gospel with one person, Father, how much bigger would the kingdom be? Because you said your word will not return void. And Father, not everybody Noah went out and preached. As a matter of fact, hardly anybody Noah preached to got saved in the ark. But there were a few that were. And Father, we can trace all of our heritages back to Noah's family today because of his faithfulness, because of his faith in you. And Father, it, it was you that sealed the ark and prevented anybody else from being saved. And Father, it's going to be after your rapture that it seals those who have once heard the truth. It's going to seal their heart so they can't know the truth going in the next tribulation. So Father, help us to study your word. Help us to know it. Help us to see it and understand the, me the ministry and the mission that is at hand for us. And Father, there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as their Savior. Father, I pray that they would not have to face the judgment to come. That, Father, they could be adopted into the family of God. And it's not by the works of our own righteousness, which we can do, but it's according to your mercy that you save us. It was, Father, your son who died on the cross for our sin and bore the shame. And today he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. And, Father, if we just simply confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, we get that free gift of salvation that's free for us, 
but it had a cost and it did take works to get it. But it was the work of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, that gives us the free salvation we have today. So Father, help us to trust you, trust your word, to, to work and serve in your church. And Father, help us not to get caught up in the money, the entertainment, and all these things. Because Father, we all know Christians who aren't. They're, they're, they're buying into what the world's selling, and they're not ready. They're not watching. And Father, we pray that they won't be left behind. Because not all that say, Lord, Lord, will be in your family. You'll say, depart from me, I don't know who you are. You worker of iniquity. So Father, help us to know for sure. Help us to be busy serving. And help us to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross, despised the shame, and today is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. Father, we haven't yet resisted to the point of blood. So may we be faithful in sharing your word. In your name we pray. All God's people said. You're here this morning. The, the greatest decision you can make is one for Jesus Christ. Whether it be in service for him or whether it be in faith to him. And you know what? Without faith, it's what? Impossible to please him. So we walk by faith, not by sight. Sure, we understand what's going on in our world. Sure, we're watching, we're studying scripture. But we need to be careful not to get so caught up and setting dates and trying to predict things that we miss the mission that's right in front of us.